Our scripture passage this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 26 through 30. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is God's word. Good morning. My name is Steve Straub. I am uh, the church planning apprentice here at Redeemer. And uh, I get the opportunity this morning to share God's word with you. And um, I am excited about it. And uh, if you have noticed kind of the terminology this morning, there's some really cool truths that we're going to tackle. One of them is this uh, word predestination. And um, that's kind of a big theological word that's in scriptures that we're going to tackle this morning. And my wife uh, asked me this morning on the way here, are are you ready for this? And uh, and I, I told her in 32 years of being on this earth and being in church pretty much since I was born, I've never really heard from the pulpit. I've heard podcasts and read books and stuff like that, but from the pulpit, I've never really heard this word preached upon a whole lot. And so um, I echo what, what Terry said a couple weeks ago. Um, I'm, I'm as anxious as you are right right now. So let's give it a go and, um, and, and look at this awesome truth in, in Romans chapter 8. I want to start off by saying... Um, Paul has actually given us an amazing security blanket here. Uh, it's, it's assurance that we can grasp and hold on to uh, in our everyday life. And if, if we somehow can, can just soak this into our, our lives and, and trust it and have faith that it is absolutely true, then as I was studying this, this past week, I just can't imagine what my life would look like. And be freed from um, to, to pursue this truth. But in our culture, this truth comes with a lot of questions. And that's okay. Because we live in a culture that really is, is fighting for independence. We have songs written about it. We have shows that, that, that are on weekly about it. We, we have an Olympic sport for the next two weeks, already a week past, who you just see uh, men and women fighting to gain some type of achievement by what they are doing. And it's just in, in, in enriched in our society. And so when we read words like this that Paul's writing in, in, in Romans chapter 8, we have to wrestle with it a little bit. We have to look at it and see exactly what, what he's talking about. Um, some questions that pop, that pop up. Why does it seem that God does everything for us? It's a great question to ask. Does he do everything in the salvation process? 
Do we have any part in our sanctification and our growth? Because it seems like a lot of what we teach around here is letting Jesus take control. Strive to stop striving. Well, what is it? Well, hopefully we will tackle some things to um, stand upon this morning. Let's just go over this again. This is more for my sake. Um, But let's just kind of read through these words that Paul writes here in in Romans chapter 8 again. Verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes For us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to the will of God. And now he starts explaining that. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, also glorified. I entitled this, if you've seen in your, in your worship folder, A Secured Love. So what, is the, what does that mean? Well, number one, we can be secured. God not only loves us perfectly, but now, now, but before the beginning of time, he says, and also throughout the remainder of eternity. This is major news because we are pretty bad at being bad, right? We have things in our hearts that are just gross, So he takes that into consideration when he says in verses 26 and 27 that the Spirit helps us. And the Spirit intercedes for us. Why do we need help in intercession? This verse explains because our hearts are lost without him. And that's why it's so awesome to hear the words of of Paul when Drew preached about this a few weeks ago. In, in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There's no now no condemnation for those in Christ. In other words, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Jesus has secured his love for us and our love for him. The Bible says, God, we love God. Because he first loved us. He produced that. Well, what about free will? What about man's responsibility? When it comes to salvation, do we choose God or does God choose us? When it comes to our sanctification, do we choose the right? Do we choose the wrong? Are we saying we have no part in this at all? If God imputes into us his love and his righteousness, why do we keep making bad choices? Why does bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to Christian people? Why does it seem I can make any choice I want to even after I've been in union with Christ? 
It's because we have a hard time believing that we are totally responsible for the choices we make. And at the same time, accepting that God is totally in control, achieving this promise. That he's working out all things good for those who love him. Explain the shootings in Denver. Explain the Columbine incident 12 years ago. Explain September 11th, 2001. I mean, it it just goes on and on and on and on. How do we explain those things? How do those evil, bad things work out to what God promises here in Romans chapter 8, verse 28? The thing is, is the Bible teaches both. It teaches that man is free and can make any choices that he wants to. No one is forcing him to make them. And yet they are responsible, they are responsible for them. And yet everything that comes from the consequences of those choices are being worked out according to God's plan. We're going to be preaching through the book of Proverbs in the fall. And just a couple verses that... I found this week in in chapter 16, verse 1, it says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Verse 9 in the same chapter says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. That is great news for guys, guys like me who come up here and attempt to preach predestination. God knows. God's working things out for the good. This is where it gets sketchy. It seems like God can do what he wants. I'm sorry, it seems like God can't do what he wants when I'm doing what I want. Can't God be working out his plan and not violate the free will of man? You see, we have a problem with this because we can't do it. Ask any parent in here. And so what we have to try to surrender our minds to is that this is God's attribute and not ours. We are highly underqualified for his job. And so we have an author who I absolutely fell in love with last semester in my evangelism class in seminary who wrote a little bit about this. His name is J.I. Packer. And in his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, he uses a word called antinomy. And this word is explained that there is an apparent contradiction, but it's not. And so to kind of put uh, some flesh to that, he gives the example of light. He says light travels in two ways. It travels once in waves, but it also travels in particles. I have no idea what that means. But it sounds really cool. All right? And I didn't have time to Google it, but just trust it, okay? One of um, a guy I'm, I'm kind of getting to know a little bit through his preaching and, and listening to some of, well, mainly his tweets, because he's one of the world's best tweeters. His name's Scotty Ward-Smith. He says it like this. So the secured hope of the believer is not that we will escape life's craziness. 
But the almighty God will make every one of our choices an instrument of his mercy to do us good. You meant it for evil, Joseph said to his brothers who had sold him into slavery. But God meant it for good. And so it was with every calamity of those who love God. God meant it for good. It's important to note, God doesn't work out all things for good in spite of our choices. He works out all things for the good through our choices. So we have this secured love. How does that look in your life? In my life, I just have this kind of short testimony. Um, I asked my wife if if I should share it, and she said, yeah, that kind of puts it. So I'm trusting her. If you don't like it, you're going to have to deal with with her. Um, But I I had some things in my life. I I grew up in church. I was in the Iwana program. I I knew kind of the ins and outs of of how we do church. And so I, I kind of grew up in that atmosphere. But then something extremely confusing happened to me. When I was 10 years old, my dad left my mom for another woman. It devastated us. And so through that, I I wish I could tell you that I just stayed strong in my faith for the Lord. But I didn't. So a horrible divorce, which led to anger and bitterness, which led to bad choices which led to a high school kid that was extremely undersized looking for a sport that could help him with his bitterness and anger that came from his past, which led to a district championship as a 10th grader and feeling so overwhelmed with why God would allow something that good to happen to me after all the bad choices I made, to me hiding underneath the bleachers at Arbondale High School, weeping in repentance, which led to a scholarship to University of South Carolina for wrestling, which led me to turn it down to learn more about the Bible because of how strong my affection was growing for the Lord, which led me to sharing my story that summer in front of 500 inner city kids, which led to a counselor coming up to me the next day saying a few of his teens accepted Christ because they realized for the first time that you didn't have to be a good boy in order to accept Christ, which gave birth to a burning call to reach more and more people with the good news of Jesus, which led to the youth ministry for 10 years after I graduated, which led to a desire to learn in a deeper way the gospel of grace, which led me here. I never would have thought that the darkness of that time with the divorce and all the bad choices that I made after the divorce would lead me to this. That's my autonomy. I came to realize that enjoying God And allowing him to use me in his amazing story that's still being written today. Why can we be secured? Let me start off by saying you have absolutely no shot of attaining salvation on your own. Zero. No shot. The Bible is slap full from cover to cover. of men trying to accomplish this on their own, trying to achieve this happiness, the salvation that they want, and in doing so, they ruin their lives. I constantly want to remind myself of this. For me, it reminds me how small I am. We have a huge problem 
in this culture with words like predestination because it takes something that seems to be achievable out of our hands. When you think about salvation, you think about God coming to this earth in the flesh as man, in Jesus, and he comes, he lives a perfect life. He, he dies up upon a cross, and then he's buried and raised again on the third day, and it just seems like, wow, that's really cool. I want salvation, so I'm just going to choose that. I'm just going to look at that, and I'm just, I, I'm going to choose it. That's easy. But we ignore the fact that the Bible repeatedly says that there is no one that is righteous. No, not one. We were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And last time I checked, a dead person cannot choose. They're dead. We have a huge problem with this because we want to win. We want to achieve something when it comes to this. Why? Well, if it was left to us, we would choose hell every time. You see, at the creation of man, in the first couple chapters, in the beginning of this Bible, in the book of Genesis, God made man and woman in perfect relationship with him and gave them free will to choose. And they chose. And they chose evil. Genesis 3 tells us that that lasted for about a second And then darkness was birthed, sin was birthed, and now it spread throughout humanity. We choose evil, and now the rest of humanity is broken. And so God, in his word, wants to constantly remind us that I got this. I can fix this. The benefits of Romans 8.28, that God's working out the good for those that love, that love him is that we can have such certainty that God will indeed fulfill this promise. God himself has effectually called us into his covenant and caused us to qualify for it. I want to use this illustration. Let's say that the president of the United States was throwing a huge party. Now, I know that doesn't ring very many bells in here. But let's say that you like the President of the United States. Um, I know my culture. Let's say that the President of the United States um, was throwing a huge party and he sends out a mass invitation entitled, To Whom It May Concern, May Come to the Party. That would be pretty cool, right? You got it in the mail, you open it up. Wow, okay, this is kind of an invitation, cool. I'll come to the party. But it's quite another thing if the president himself uh, drives up to your front door, walks in, picks you up, puts you in the car, drives you to the party, gives you the party VIP treatment, and then sits you at the right hand of his chair. Would not this personal invitation 
and initiative by him give you deeper confidence that he actually cares about you? Um, Drew uses movies as illustrations a lot. And typically the movies that he uses are usually have like a book this thick attached to them. And so I typically don't read the books. I just watch the movies. And so I, I get... I get it most of the time. And I was thinking of a really cool, like, theological movie I can use. But all I could come up with was Annie. I mean, this is a story of a, of a little girl who was abandoned. She had no life. She had no hope. She was an orphan. And she came and got rescued. And with a literal moment... She went from rags to riches. She went from singing hard not life to being in royalty. And congregation, I want to remind you that this is exactly what God has done for us. We didn't deserve it. There's nothing that we did. God rescued us. John Piper writes a lot about this kind of stuff, and he has this amazing quote. It says, We deny ourselves such deep and wonderful assurances when we do not embrace the doctrine of God's sovereign, effectual call. There's such strength that comes into the walk of a Christian when he knows how it is that he came to be a beneficiary of this incomparable promise. And as though it were not enough to reassure us that we became beneficiaries of this promise by God's effectual call, Paul adds the words, according to his purpose. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. Congregation, we needed a rescuer. That's why we read stuff in the Bible like, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He also says in Romans, but God shows his love towards us and while we were yet sinners... We sang about it earlier. We hated him. He died for us. So my last point is, okay, we can be secured. Why can we be secured? And this last one is, okay, how? How can we be secured? Well, in verse 29, it says, for those whom he foreknew in This is an exciting kind of thing to to preach on because you can actually translate that word for new into for loved. For those he for loved. And we talked about this in the beginning. God loved you before the beginning of time and he loved you throughout the remainder. Eternity. This is a strong, strong word. It reminds me, I was thinking of, um, how can I explain this better? When Trish and I were dating, we had this kind of little thing that we did because we, you know, we dated at church and stuff like that. So we would sit in the pew and we'd act like we'd be paying attention. And um, 
we would hold hands, and that was kind of a big deal in church. Um, and so as we held hands that no one really could see us, we kind of held hands in church. And, you know, at first it was kind of scary, you know, kind of heart you know, beats. And like, wow, this is cool, you know. And she holds my hand. And then a little while later, you know, two, three months down the road, all of a sudden she used to grab my hand and squeeze it three times. I'm like, I mean, I could squeeze you back. It's going to hurt. I don't, you know, I don't know if it's like a competition or what. So I used to be like, oh, cool, you know. But then what we, what we came to realize was is that she was actually telling me, I love you. And then what I did was is I would squeeze back, how much? <laughs> and then she would squeeze my hand really, really hard. <laughs> and the harder she squeezed, the more I realized that she loved me. It was it was really cool. But then what, what that did was is that gave birth to kind of a conversation. So we, we're dating and we're getting engaged and we're, we're getting married. And so we used words now. Okay, I love you. Really? Cool. Well, how much do you love me? Well, I love you a lot. Why? You know, and I, I, remember, I remember I used to try to explain myself. I love you because you're beautiful. I love you because, because you're just fun to be with. And then what I came to realize is that was putting conditions on our love. And so if I continue to say I love you because you're beautiful, well, what happens is that we all have kind of bodies that are dying. So they start like looking different. My wife will always be beautiful to me, okay? <laughs> Don't get me wrong, all right? But sometimes you kind of look at the realities of life and you see, you know, maybe she's trying to now judge herself uh, against younger girls or whatever the case may be. But what about, I love you because your personality is awesome or, or that we get along. Well, sometimes, like, we fight. And so that kind of puts a struggle on it. And so what I had to learn was, is that when, when she is to ask me, why do you love me? It's just because I do. I love you. That's it. And see, what God is trying to get across here in Romans eight twenty nine, when he says he, he foreknew, he, he foreloved us. Well, why? why? Because he does. Period. He loves us. And we try so hard. No, 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 God. That can't be true. I have to prove to you why you love me. And I know that some of you have been in those circles. I've been in those circles myself. And, and, and let, me, let me just tell you something. It's exhausting. Oh, what our lives would look like if we can just sit under this truth that God loves us just because he loves us. In my opinion, until we embrace this doctrine of God's unconditional love and unconditional election and predestination and this effectual calling that he has, it'll be hard to truly grasp the meaning of grace 
and will never give God the glory that he's due. We call this sovereign grace because grace is not merely an offer of salvation. It's also a power that saves us. Going back to what Paul says in Ephesians 2.5, even when we were dead through trespasses, through our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. And then Paul puts in parentheses right after that, by grace, you have been saved. He's trying to reiterate this point. This hits home to me big time because of the calling that God has put in my life. Teaming up with with Drew and Jonathan in the churches in Lakeland about this church planning stuff. And it's like, well, one of the things you have to establish is, is, is your why. And I'm going to close with this. We don't live in New York City. We don't live in in these big cities across America and we're fighting all kinds of things that they're fighting in. So, So what are we fighting? What are some of the things that we see going on? And and one of the things that has really hit home for me is that one of the major problems is that we have a church on every corner in this county. And most of the time, what what we've seen is that, and I need to be careful with how I say this, but we see that there's a lot of unqualified guys teaching different things in these churches. And I'll just let the statistics speak for themselves, but researchers from the Pew Forum discovered that a following survey um, was taken up through Southern Evangelicals. Um, They interviewed over 5,000 of them in the South, and they found that 98% of all Southern Evangelicals believe in the existence of God. I don't know what the other 2%, I don't know, but 98%. Of those 98%, 41% of them said that there is only one true interpretation of the Bible's teachings. And of those 98%, 36% of them said, in this, said that their religion is to be the one true faith that leads to eternal life. So if 98% of Southern Southern evangelicals are certain about the existence of God, but only 36% of the same group believes that their faith is uniquely true, then 64% of professing evangelicals in the South believe in a gospel contrary to what the Bible says. Simply put, in the average church and the average Christian in America, do not understand or believe the gospel. When a church loses the revolutionary power of the gospel, legalism and religion replace it. Churches are dying because there's nothing more than organized religion which cannot change the heart of man. We cannot back down from the beautiful doctrine that God wants us to understand. It changes our lives. 
we fall in love with God more and more and more when we get to know him deeper and deeper and deeper. I truly believe we will never feel the full wonder of grace until we surrender our claim to have the final say in our salvation. We will never stand in awe of God's sovereignty over our lives and give him the glory for our salvation until we know ourselves to be so. That we are completely helpless and that he had to do it for us. This was a tough thing to study about. I utterly enjoyed it. Because it's something that I want to continue to grow in my life. My prayer for us as a, as a community is that we would live this out in such a way that just like the Bible says, the aroma of our love for him will spread throughout this county and our state and hopefully our world. Let's pray. And God, we thank you for the seriousness of your word. We thank you for the truth that is in it. God, we unashamedly, every week we come up here and we talk about the depths of our sin, but the glorious love of our Savior. And God, I pray that you would teach us to be a church of repentance, but also a church that is in love with their Savior. Help us to never sway away from the gospel of grace. And I ask, Jesus, that you would continue to use us. I pray that there would not be a pride that develops in us because we are a denomination that is known for their doctrine. I pray that there would never be any arrogance that just builds up in us, that we have it all together, that we have all the answers. But God, I pray, I pray, God, that this truth would melt our hearts, that we would be so overwhelmed that a God would be in love with the very people who hated him. And I pray that that spreads to our community. God, I pray that you give us opportunity to spread it to the different churches that are in this area. And God, you would give us a clear vision on how we can be used by you to share this gospel of grace. We thank you that we are able to say we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the benediction is another set of fuel for you, if you will, uh, to go. Uh, and love to the death because that's what's been done for you. So take these words and uh, receive them as part of his promise that as you go from here, he goes with you. Uh, beside you, in front of you, behind you, all around you, to equip you to accomplish that work. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.